verse number 27, 26 rather, 26. Proverbs 14, verse number 26. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning for your goodness and for your grace. And we ask you to meet with us this morning, to lead us and to guide us. And I pray, oh God, that you would have your will and way in each one of our hearts and minds. And I pray, God, that you would lead us through your word. Teach us, God, how we ought to live, how we ought to act. Sometimes we do understand how we ought to live, but we uh, we fail to do that anyway. I pray you'd give us a remedy for that this morning. And I pray, oh God, that you'd just have, again, have your will and way in each one of our lives. We'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. All right. Verse number 26. Let's read a few verses here this morning. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. In the multitude of people is the king's honor, but in the want of people is the destruction of the prince. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor." The wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding, but that which is in the midst of fools is made known. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causeth shame. All right. Verse number 26, And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Well, this is a great indicator right here in your life. You can uh, look at your own life, look at your own uh, demeanor, your own character, and you can tell a lot by, by, uh, by this verse right here. And the fear of the Lord is, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Are you a confident person? A lot of people have a lot of self-confidence, and that can be deceitful. The Bible says, uh, let no man deceive you, but the Bible also says, let no man deceive himself. A lot of people have strong, strong self-esteem and strong self-confidence, and what I mean by self-confidence is, well, I've had a, this is what, this is what a person tells themselves. I have a lot of education, I have a lot of money, I have a lot of success, I, I have the ability to do this, I have the knowledge to do, well this is self-confidence and they believe that they can get anything done. But then what happens is a person with self-confidence, they'll uh, make a decision and they'll be bold to act and then when things come tumbling down they panic and commit suicide. This was the case, uh, especially in American history, during the Great Depression. Many people committed suicide because all their confidence was taken away. In other words, they had confidence in their own means. And it's very, it's, uh, the history is there for you to read. The history is there for you to study and look up. You turn back the pages of time to the Great Depression, you'll find that many people committed suicide because everything that they had accomplished, they were men of great Means They were men of great abilities and great talents when it come to business. But when, when that failed, their confidence also failed. And so you need a confidence that will last beyond your abilities. And that's true confidence. If you have confidence when you're able, and then when you're not able, that confidence fails. That's false confidence. And man is a false hope. There, if there's anything true in the Bible, it's all true and you understand that. But if there's any great teaching of the Bible, it's, it's that man's confidence is a false hope. A hope in yourself is a false hope. And when it disappears, you won't know what to do. And so here it says, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. And his children, his equals the Lord's, the Lord's children. And his children shall have a place of refuge. So when everything goes wrong and things are beyond your ability, you'll have a place to hide. Amen. And that's in the fear of the Lord. The next verse is the same. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. 
In other words, a fountain. A fountain of water is where you get water, right? A fountain of life is where you get life. A fountain of water is where you get a drink of water. It's where, it's where water issues from. It's a place that issues water for your consumption. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. If you fear the Lord, well, then life comes from that. That's been one of the main themes that we've tried to bring out in the book of Proverbs is uh, actions and consequences. And the consequence of fearing the Lord is confidence. The consequence of fearing the Lord is life. And he says that life also to depart from the snares of death. So what you've got in the fear of the Lord is, and I don't know that I've heard too much explanation of what the fear of the Lord is, but it's very simple. I think anybody could get it, but it bears saying because you never know. Uh, some terms, some religious terms, or let me say it this way, some terms just turn out to be religious terms, like I'm saved. Sometimes that doesn't mean anything. Uh, I believe the Bible. Sometimes that doesn't mean anything. I fear the Lord. Sometimes that doesn't mean anything. Well, what's the basis of any fear? That's a good question, isn't it? The basis of fear is bodily harm. Very few people on this earth fear mental harm. Think about that. Nobody walks around, I think this is going to mess up my mind. Very few people pay any attention to that. Because we all believe that our minds are strong enough to deal with pretty much anything, and it's not. The mind's a very fragile thing. But when we usually fear, we fear a snake. Not because it's going to uh, make us, well, it does make us nervous, you understand that. But that fear, that nervousness is, the fear comes from the fact that thing might bite you even if it's not a poisonous snake. Have <laughs> you ever seen a little kid chasing some of these lizards around here? These little green lizards that dart across the... Well, some people are still afraid to pick one of those up. They're afraid it might bite them. That uh, reptile family has a bad reputation, doesn't it? And a lot of people fear the devil. Mm -hmm. I've, I know that many... Uh, actually, I could say the majority of people are afraid of the things that go bump in the night. They're afraid of what's in their closet to the point where they'll tremble and pull the covers over their head. And they won't do that for the Lord at all. Well, the, the fear of anything is the fear of bodily harm due to consequences. And the fear of the Lord is that same way. The fear of the Lord. The modern day religion has tried to change that into the reverence of the Lord. And see, see there, you know their difference because one is spelled F-E-A-R and the other is R-E-V-E-R-E-N-C-E. -E -E. Two different words. They're, you know, they're, they're different words because they mean different things. Now anything you fear you're going to reverence or despise. That's a different story. That's a different part of the equation. It may be part of the same equation, but it's a different part of the equation. And so he says here, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. If you fear the Lord, you behave yourself. And I know this very, very uh, plainly. I understand this very plainly because uh, you're probably wired up the same way as I am. I do most of my getting right when I'm afraid of bodily damage, sick or or calamity is is on the doorstep or something like that. Oh God, forgive me and help me. But that's what David said. David was wired up the same way as you and I. He said, I went astray and the Lord began to deal with me and the Lord began to afflict me. And he said, I, I cried to the Lord. Amen. Help me and forgive me and save me and all these wonderful things. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. So the fear of the Lord is is... You say, well, it's, it's, that's tyranny if he's going to make you afraid. It's not tyranny. It's for your benefit. If you, were, if, you were, if you were not a sinner, if you were not a transgressor, if you were not, uh, if you were not inadequate in the, in the uh, realm of holiness and, and morality, and then he still put the same consequences on you, that would be tyranny. Amen. 
But you're not, you're a rebel. Just like a little kid, they say, oh, the kids are rebellious. That's because they're rebels. They're going to test the boundaries. And as they begin to grow and get older, there is, there is some justification for them making their own decisions and wanting to make their own decisions. But you can still tell the difference between a rebel and somebody who's just maturing. Amen? And man is a rebel. And so the Lord has to deal with us out of fear. And a man that doesn't fear the Lord's not wise. All right, let's move on. Verse 28, in the multitude of people is the king's honor, but in the want of people is the destruction of the prince. And this is a basic verse that deals with uh, some of the uh, actions and attitudes of our American forefathers. In the multitude of people is the king's honor. Uh, Abigail Adams, which was John Adams, the second president, his wife said, said this in one of her letters. And she said, if a, if, a, if a people lets their king slip from them, they're still a people. But if a king lets the people slip from them, he's a king no longer. That's a very true statement. It actually goes along with this verse right here. And the multitude of people is the king's honor, but in the one of people is the uh, destruction of the prince. And so while there is, while there is uh, that a large doctrine in the Bible. I wouldn't say that it was small or insignificant. It is a significant verse. The Bible says that the powers that be are ordained of God. There is also the, the, the truth on the other side of that coin that the people are not insignificant. Though the, the rulers of this earth are significant, the people are not insignificant. But let's look, uh, let's look in Romans chapter 13 and let's see a little bit about this uh, idea of being subject to princes. I didn't say princesses, but princes. Romans chapter number 13. I passed it twice. Now, I've, I know you've heard this. I believe the government has a lot of preachers on their payroll, so to speak. I don't, I don't think I mean that in a literal fashion. I don't think the government's paying any preachers, but it's possible. Romans chapter 13, a lot of, these, a lot of, this, a lot of preachers teach this passage, especially in this day and time. They teach this passage incorrectly, I believe. Uh, as far as I've been able to read it and understand it, I believe that a lot of people teach this wrong. I know back when uh, Hurricane Katrina come through and they were, the government was going through there, and in some cases it was right to do it, a bunch of thugs uh, over there in Louisiana was breaking into homes and stuff, so the government sent some people in. They were doing some gun confiscation and different stuff like that. They enlisted preachers to plead with their congregations to be obedient to Romans 13. Can you imagine the government wanting somebody to uh, be obedient to the Scripture? Well, Roman, if they ever done that, Romans 13 would be the place. Well, let's look and see what Romans 13 actually says. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Very clear. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. You resist the government power, you'll receive damnation. Well, in this condition or in this position, didn't say anything about condition or not yet it hasn't. But look what it says. For rulers are not a terror to good works. Suppose they were a terror to good works. Then they're not rulers. Is that hard to figure out? He just told you the powers that be are ordained of God. And then he told you that rulers are not a terror to good works. Therefore, if you find a ruler that is a terror to good works, he is no ruler. And this is the, this is the philosophy, and I, I say philosophy, uh, and I don't say religion, on purpose. Because in many cases, 
1776, they weren't operate. Some of them weren't weren't operating from a religious standpoint, but from a philosophical standpoint, from the works of John Locke and different folks like that. They had had influence as well as biblical influence. But some men were not good Christians even in that day. And it's a lot of people want to think that everybody in 1776 was saved and born again and on the way to heaven. That's not true. At the same time, they did have a very large influence from the Word of God, and that's, that's going to have an effect on society. And men being born again will also have an effect on society. Those, those things are both true. But he says, rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Now, if you've got a government that is a terror to good works and they're, they're assisting in the evil, well, then that government, according to the philosophy of 1776, is that those, ty- those tyrants need to be brought down. That's the statement of the Declaration of Independence. When a people find that they cannot uh, reconcile good sense and good judgment with the government that they have, they're to pull it down. Amen. Amen. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Afraid of the power. The last two verses we dealt with in Proverbs was the fear of the Lord. The next verse talks about rulers and government. So here we are studying about in the major chapter in the Bible that talks about the administration of government. He says, will thou not be afraid of the power, afraid of bodily consequence? If you do evil and stand against uh, the power that God ordained, then you, you're going to be in trouble. Amen. Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is a minister of God. Anybody think uh, Nancy Pelosi is a minister of God? She hates God. She talks about God. But the, the, the wisest thing that you'll ever learn in Sunday school, I, I, I won't say it's the wisest, but for the sake of the argument and for the sake of the point that we're now trying to make, one of the wisest things that you'll ever learn in Sunday school is to not to take people at the word when they use the word God. Amen. People use the word God for a lot of reasons that are not legitimate. He says... Um, for he is a minister of God for, uh, to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now that is not a description of Nancy Pelosi or any of these Barack Obama or any of these folks. They're out to do evil. They're out to cause harm. And that, that's all there is. You, all you can do is, is look at the facts and draw your conclusions from that. Let's go back up to verse number 2. No, verse number 1, the last part of the verse. The powers that be are ordained of God. The, the, one of the very first lines in the establishment of, my, of our government is we the people of the United States of America. Just You can forget the rest of it for, for, for the time being. We the people. That's the power. You say, well, Brother Mike, you know there's got to be kings. I'm not talking about what there's got to be. The Bible says the powers that be are ordained of God. And in this particular case, God-fearing people set up a nation that, in which the power was vested in the people. Amen. And that the government was set up as a representative republic. Amen. Representative of who? Okay. At the same time, it's a rule of laws. And in a rule of laws, a rule of laws negates democracy. America was not set up as a democracy. But it was set up with democratic values. In other words, the people vote on the representatives. When the Congress meets together, they vote in a democratic way. A law passes by a majority vote. Majority vote in the Senate, in the House of Representatives. That's as far as democracy goes in the country. When those laws that, that, when that majority in Congress votes on a law that goes against the Constitution, the Supreme Court is supposed to overturn those laws. 
And I would say, I would venture to say that if it's a representative republic, that the people should very easily be able to petition the government and say, overturn that law. Now, we've come to the place where lobbyists have overturned that. So, is any, is any government system perfect? Absolutely not. And you shouldn't expect it to be either. Your expectation should be of God. Amen. And that's why I'm trying to continually pray that God will open the eyes of people and that God would reveal the foolishness of these people that are in government. And it would be right and good for that, uh, for that to take place because what they're doing is they're not just pulling the wool over people's eyes, grown voters' eyes. They're not just, uh, they're, they've, it's such an elaborate setup that Hollywood and the media and the, the actual government actors are in concert to take away American principle and godly principle and the Hollywood part and the music industry part keeps people thinking about other things and the media keeps people mad at one another until nothing can be done. A house divided cannot stand, the Bible says. But so all you can do is pray and ask God to help and, and to open the people's eyes and to reveal their foolishness. And, and sometimes God does that. And, and uh, even if God opens their eyes, maybe they won't do anything about it. God opened people's eyes and they still... I'm sure God opened the people's eyes when he parted the Red Sea, but it wasn't very long after that they were begging to go back to the old system, back into Egypt. So all you can do is trust to the one true government, the one government that is going to be perfect, and that's the soon coming King, the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll set up a good government. Amen? So verse number five, wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. All right, let's go back to the book of uh, Proverbs chapter 15. We could probably spend a lot of time right there on that subject of government. But the people is, is truly. Now there are those, and I say that because there are those who believe that there should only be government and people need to be led, and people do need to be led. People are fallen creatures. The, uh, the idea tends to be, the idea used to be only kings, only kings. The idea seems to be now only the people. Only the people. Only the people. That's not true. People do need government because people are falling. If there wasn't government, if there wasn't government, people would be, Lord have mercy. Well, go to some of these countries that don't have, uh, uh, they have, what they have is, to, uh, I started to say totalitarian, but that they have tyrants or they have uh, dictatorships and all these socialist nations where the power is, Central in the in two or three different individuals, what that usually becomes is once they get the power, once they get the the strength, and once they get the military power, and once they have the monetary power, the common people are left in ghettos and eventually become self-rule without principle. The cities are full of drugs and crime and the mafia and all this stuff and there's no control over that stuff and the people in the top portions of government don't care as long as they get paid and as long as they get to have the final rule so that's what that's what Venezuela is about right now that's what Russia was about that's what that's what all these little dictatorships have become about so you go to different places in the world and that's what you'll find all right, let's move on. Let's move on from there. Don't have time to stay very long on that subject. It's not all the people. It's not all the prince. Amen. That it's uh, something that should be working hand in hand. In the multitude of people is the king's honor, but in the one of people is the destruction of the prince. Verse number twenty-nine: He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. Now that takes control in your spirit. He that is hasty of spirit. Exalted folly. That's how I 
knew to say that. He that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. If you, you know, some people they say he's very spirited. If that means you shout hallelujah and say amen in church, that's good. Amen. If that means you're hearty and you're encouraged to do good works in the community, that's good. If that means you get mad real fast, that's bad. Amen. Matter of fact, I could say this. I don't think it's just exclusive to anger. That is what the verse says, and that is what we should. Uh, it's not, it really doesn't say anger. It says wrath, which is two different things. Anger is, is an emotion. Wrath is a reaction to that emotion. Amen. You will get angry. Be ye angry and sin not, the Bible says. You punch somebody in the nose, that's your wrath. You're, take, you're, you're dealing out consequences for their actions. And so he says, he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. You don't have to deal out all the punishment right this minute. Think about it. Uh, survey the situation. Find out what the best course of action is. And then apply it as needed. Amen. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. A sound, heart is the, a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. So it didn't say a healthy heart, although a healthy heart would be good for you, amen? But it says a sound heart is life to the flesh. Again, this is actions and consequences. What is a sound heart? A sound heart would be patient. You know impatience will ruin your health? A sound heart is the life of the flesh. So a sound heart would be patient. It would have the right desires. It would have its affection set in the right place. And that would be life to you. I've been studying, uh, and I don't have any concrete answers yet, but I really believe that in, in the book of Genesis, so let's turn back and read that in the book of Genesis. I believe it's chapter 6 is what I'm looking for. Genesis chapter 6. I've always wondered about a couple of things here, and I think the Lord has showed me the answer. And uh, while I wouldn't say this with 100% confidence, I, I do have enough confidence in it to at least mention it to you for your consideration. Genesis 6 and verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. Now, some people say, well, this is how long it took Moses to build the ark. And then the Lord sent down the, down the rain and, and drowned everybody else. But he says, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. I think that what he's talking about, you just read chapter 5, these people were living 900 years. And I believe what the Lord is doing here between before the flood and after the flood is that he's taking the years of their life down to 120 years. And if that's the case, then it really explains to me, the Bible says a wicked man will not live out half his days. A lot of people die around the age of 60. But the book of Proverbs says that righteousness is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Doing the right thing will add life. You say, well, how come you don't see a large amount of people living to 120 years old? Because all flesh is grass, amen? You say, oh, I was looking, packing up some books and stuff back there, and I come across a book that a fellow gave me. Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? That's that's just the age. If you want to write, a, if you want to make a lot of money, write that book. And so, don't, never mind that it's been written a hundred times. Just, that people want to know that there ain't no good people. There ain't no good people. There ain't no good people. There are no. I don't care if John MacArthur preaches it or Doctor Ruckman. I don't. If your, your favorite preacher can preach that message, he's stupid for preaching it. He's wasting his time. Bad things happen to men because you're wicked as the day is long. And your problem is not my attitude. Your problem is that you don't understand that. Your problem is that you hadn't come to grips with that. 
the quicker you come to grips with that, the, the better disposition you'll have. If you're so great, why are you so bitter? Amen. Come to grips with who you are. Accept your reality. Amen. That's just the way that it is. Get mad about me if you want. It's just gonna make you gonna make you more bitter. It ain't gonna change my disposition. Amen. Brother Mike, you ain't got nothing. And why do you why are you so happy about this and that? Man, I'm satisfied. Amen. Satisfied with reality. Amen. The Lord, the Lord will do what's right. Amen. The Lord will do what's right. Bad things happen to bad people. The verse that we're looking at says a sound heart is the life of the flesh. If you had a sound heart, I believe you'd live a long time. I've been considering these things, and I really don't know if I want to live a long time. I used to say when I was a boy I wanted to live to 105. I don't want to die at all. Uh, I don't want to die before my children. I mean, I don't want my children to die before me. Amen. So I'd be afraid to live to 120. Amen. You know what, Brother Mike, don't you think your kids are going to do right enough to live a long time? Now listen, I don't know. These things are, gen- this is generally speaking, some people are, are going, you know, the Lord knows your time. Amen. The Lord knows what's going to take place. You can live right and be afflicted. Because uh, your, your actions are not the only uh, ball game that's going on. At the same time, amen, there's lots of things, lots of, lots of things are going to work into the number of your days, not just doing right, amen, lots of things are going to come into play there. You can start doing right now and past actions come into play, past actions of your own and past actions of other people. But what, all I'm trying to say is I do want to live a long time, I do want to live, he that will love life and see good days the Bible says in the book of Peter, let him eschew evil. Stay away from bad things. Again, let me point out one more time. For the millionth time uh, since I've been the pastor here, evil does not always mean wicked. Let him eschew evil. All this bad stuff, don't dwell on it. Stay away from it. Amen? If I knew somebody that was just real I'm talking about in the vein of life. There are certain people like preachers, they have to be negative because they have to be real. They have to, you've got so much positivity in your life, and God knew that. God, God caused certain people to bring up some negativity from time to time. But if I was down on the workplace and there was a guy working next to me and he was always, this place hates us, this place don't take care of us, this place is bad, I'd stay away from them. I already know work is bad enough. It's part of the curse. Amen. I don't need somebody else ruining my day, rubbing it in my face how stupid the boss is. I know that already. That's the common attitude. Amen. Stay away from that. Stay away from it. Hey, man, don't you know our bosses are crazy? Yeah, but the paycheck's all right. We don't hardly get paid nothing. You're about 200 pounds overweight. You must be getting paid enough. Amen. We'll move right along there. A sound heart is the life of the flesh. Stay away from the evil. Amen. If he that will love life and see good days, let him eschew evil. Matter of fact, go and find that chapter and you can read that. There's a great sermon in it. Harold Seitler preached a sermon on that. I, I wouldn't say that I stole his sermon, but I used that same line of thought for a sermon myself, and I think it'll do you good. Verse number, it's First Peter chapter four, I believe is is the chapter. Yeah, it is. Go look at that sometime. Look that up and find out how to love life and see good days. For right now, Proverbs chapter 14, let's look at verse number 31. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker. Don't laugh and make fun of folks that have less than you do. Be a help and a blessing to them, amen, because you're reproaching your maker. One of the, one of the chief folks on this planet that the Lord looked up when he visited us the first time was the poor. 
John the Baptist sent a messenger to Jesus while he was in prison and said, Hey, are you the one or do we look for another? And one of the chief indicators that the Lord pointed out to John the Baptist was, The poor have the gospel preached to them. Amen? And if you want to give something to the poor, give them food, give them money. But the chief thing you could give them is the liberating gospel. You get a man's heart right, he can provide for himself. Amen. That's not to say that you shouldn't provide material things for him. But you also give him the means to get his own material things, the chief of which is the gospel. You know what to take care of a, a thief's heart? The Bible says, let him that stole steal no more. But who was he talking to? People that had already been saved. You wouldn't think you'd have to teach that to people. But you do. That's a part of discipleship. So Paul didn't say to the lost man, he that stole still no more. They're sinners. That's what they're going to do. They're going to sin. But to the man that gets saved, then you begin to disciple them about right living. Verse number 32, the wicked is driven away. Let me see. Let me finish verse 31. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him, he that honors God, he that honors his maker, hath mercy on the poor. So it's not just, uh, it's, it's, what you do is you look at somebody and you say, well, he hadn't been doing what I've been doing. I've been doing X, Y, and Z, and I have money and houses and lands and cars, and this guy's a bum and he don't have nothing. Well, okay, have mercy on him then. Because God says, I have done X, Y, and Z, and this sinner hasn't done anything worthy of my attributes, of my time and my attention, but I give it to him freely. All this I did for thee, says the old saying about Christ on the cross. It's a saying. It's not biblical, but that's exactly what Christ was saying indeed in his deeds. The Lord done it for you. Amen. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. The wicked is driven away in his wickedness. In other words, the Lord has a system set up, just like the weather is a system. The Lord set it in the heavens. It runs by its currents. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The Bible understood that before science ever knew what condensation was. The Bible understood these things. Well, that's a system. The weather is a system. The ocean has a system. The ocean has a jet stream just like the air currents does. Well, also, the life of a man is a system. Think, you ever heard the saying, things go in cycles? Okay. Well, that's, that's true. The wicked is driven away in his wickedness. The Lord has a system of reaping and sowing. When you plant a bean in the ground, you don't get corn, you get beans. The wicked is driven away in his wickedness. Uh, your own actions, the backslider, be filled with his ways, the Bible says. All you got to do is do a thing, and you'll end up at the destination that's correct and right. So, well, that makes me afraid. Exactly. That's been the theme of the last couple of verses. Fear the Lord. That fear of the Lord keeps you out of those situations. The fear of the Lord also makes you repent when your sinful frame gets into a mess. The, the, Lord, the Bible says, the Lord, he knoweth our frame. He knows that we're just dust. Amen. So you, you afraid of the Lord, you say, man, I'm not doing that. But then sometimes you do fear the Lord, you fall into temptation. And once you do, you say, oh, God, forgive me of that. That's the way, that's the way of life. That's the way of life. The wicked is driven away in his wickedness. You're going to remain in that evil way, that wicked way, that bad way, if you're going to remain in that, you're going to get the consequence of it. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's a cycle. The Lord doesn't have to raise his hand to you. And if he does, God help you. But he doesn't have to raise his hand to you at all. It's going to come to you naturally. The way of the transgressor is hard, naturally. Verse number 33 Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding. If you've been reading your Bible, if you've been learning the Scripture, wisdom, it's, it's there. It's, it's resting right there. Resting right there in your heart. Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding. You know, some of you have the wisdom to live a good life and a godly life, 
and it's in the fact it's in the facts that wisdom is contained in the facts you've already learned the bible you've already read the assurance that you've already got from uh, prayer the confidence that you've already got from fear in the lord you've got the wisdom to do right it's resting right there it's like a well you have to draw it out draw it out use it amen use it Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding, but that which is in the midst of fools is made known. You don't have to try to be a fool. All you got to do is just follow your heart. I've, I've heard so many preachers use that phrase, just follow your heart. I don't recommend it. Amen. Because if you do, you're going to show you're a first-rate fool. Amen. Wisdom resteth in the heart uh, of him that hath understanding, but that which is in the midst of fools, that stuff that's on the inside of man, the foolishness and all that stuff, it's gonna, it'll be made known. Usually comes out of your mouth. Usually don't have to do too many actions, just open your mouth and speak. The Bible says a fool is made known by the multitude of words. Righteousness exalteth the nation. Verse 34. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Jews, Gentiles, Romans, Americans, Englishmen, Frenchmen. Makes no difference whatsoever. It's extremely e easy for a Frenchman. Amen. Amen. Uh, but righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin is a reproach to any people. And we do live in a day when the more sinful you are, the more that the news media and Hollywood tries to exalt you and make you look like a champion or make you look like a great people. But that's just not the case. Sin is a reproach to any people. A reproach is something that brings a, a, a darkness to your name. It brings a shadow to your name. It, bring, it's a, it, a, it brings a feeling of foreboding. Hey, I want to stay away from that. That's what a reproach is. A reproach is a black mark on your name. And it usually ends up doing just exactly that, even though the world tried to paint you into a good light. Now, they got, I understand that they've come out with a book about Michael Jackson. Oh, well, Michael Jackson was a child molester, they're saying. They're saying this now in these books. We knew that. We believed that the first time he paid somebody off for that. And there ought to be a special place in hell for a parent that would take money from a child molester to stay out of court. Amen. Amen. I believe that person needs to be taken away from the earth. Amen. You take that as hate speech. You can take it for whatever you want to take it for. If, you, if somebody molests your child and you take money from them in order to not go to court, you ought to be burning in hell in the next 30 minutes. Amen? Amen. 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 That's exactly right. Now, you write books like 10 years later, 15 years later about all that's going on. You know what the world is doing now? They're rallying around Michael Jackson. They say, hey, he's not here to defend himself. Well, you big hypocrite. When these preachers that you hate die, you talk bad about them. They're not here to defend themselves. Jerry Falwell died. They had parades. Anybody? Does anybody besides me remember that? Oh, yeah, he's dead. He was a bigot. Oh, he's not here to defend himself. Can't you speak well of the man that just died? No, you can't. But can you do that for Michael Jackson, the child molester? You know what's behind, you know what's behind talk like that? You know what's behind talk like that? You got fellas, you know, who has their Mitch tape. Remember the 80s? Mitch tape. You make your own tape of your favorite songs. These fellas sitting around their house listening to Michael Jackson music. And now if you're going to ridicule him for being a child molester, that says something about you for taking pleasure in him. That's Romans chapter 1. Anybody remember Romans chapter 1? Let's, let me read Romans chapter 1 to you. Romans chapter number 1. Verse number 
Verse number 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, without natural affection, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Amen? That's why people are saying, well, he's not here to defend himself. Now, you old scoundrel, you're sitting around in the dark listening to the fellow's music, and you think that equates you with being just as bad as him. Amen? If you didn't, if you didn't like that sort of thing, you wouldn't be hanging around with them. Amen. Amen? Thank you very much. Righteousness exalteth a nation. When people will, will uh, put a a cross in a jar of urine and set it up like art, but they'll uh, like art, but they'll speak well of Michael Jackson. Your nation's in trouble. Yeah, amen. Right. amen. And then we can go back and visit another side of the coin that we talked about earlier. Nancy Pelosi is not God's minister, but in in a certain viewpoint, Nebuchadnezzar was God's minister to take care of Israel. So in a normal situation, you're not looking at anybody who would even be related to God with these liberal baby killers. But at the same point in time, you want to turn your back on God and turn your back on the Bible and run around with with, uh, whoremongers and homosexuals, Rock Hudson, some of you ladies. He's a dreamboat, wouldn't he? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson sure can sing good, huh, baby Molester? Yes. God bless America. I wish that he would, but in order to do it, he'd have to take away a bunch of folks like Michael Jackson. You ever wondered why an unusually high amount of these rock stars and television stars die early? That thing is not just a one or two person coincidence, that thing is, that is, that is a, that is a, that's an equation that'll make you sit, stand there with your jaw on the floor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When you look at the, when you look at the people who have sold their life out to serving the devil, to lead America into sinful foolishness, their death rate is astounding. Astounding. Not one sane person could look at that record of the entertainers that have died super early and not be astounded, not be uh, educated by that. be impossible to do, to turn you back on that. Well, it's such a sad loss. Well, God didn't think so. God didn't think so. Amen. Makes you wonder about the fellows you're watching and listening to on the radio now, doesn't it? The king's favor is toward the wise servant. That's how you get in God's favor. Be a wise servant. Amen? But his wrath is against him that causes shame. It's a great verse. Maybe we'll look at that next week. We might move on from it, but you look at it over the week and study it up. The king's favor is toward the wise servant, but his wrath, not his anger. God's angry with the wicked every day. His wrath is actually going to come on the person that causes shame. What's your life causing? What's the consequences that your life is bringing? I had a sobering thought. I was out there yesterday. We were burning some wood piles and stuff. And I thought to myself, uh, you know, I was thinking about death and different things, some of the things that we've talked about here this morning. And uh, I, was, I was thinking, I wonder when a person dies, does the Lord communicate with them? He might. He might say, now, get ready. A lot of people have said, hey, I'm about to die. They've been able to express the fact that that's what was about to take place. I don't know if the Lord's communicating with them or not. They've been in that situation, so I don't know. But it's possible. But I got to thinking about what would I say if the Lord were to tell me, okay, son, you got five minutes. What would I tell him? And what would he respond to me? 
Did you know that death is going to be the most realistic moment you've ever experienced in your life? There will be no cover-ups. There will be no convincing yourself of things that are not so. It will be the most realistic moment. Can you imagine a man that hasn't given his time to his family and he's about to die and say, but God, my, my, my wife and kids, and God being just as real to them as he could possibly be and say, they'll be better off without you. That is a sobering thought. You say, well, what about it, Brother Mike? That verse that we just read said that God was going to deal with the people that caused shame, that caused shame. The consequences of your actions is what the book of Proverbs is about. And come to the moment of your death and say, Lord, I'll do right if you'll be merciful to me. And God say, no, you won't. No, you won't. You'll keep doing exactly what you've been doing. How many times have you ever come to God with a deal? Lord, if you'll give me one more chance, I'll do right this time. And the truth of the matter was, here 10 years later after you said that, you're doing the same things you used to do. That's real. That's real. In the emotional moment, I'll do right. You hear a sermon, oh yeah, I'll get that worked on. I'm going to work on that. You don't work on it. You don't change it. You don't do it. I've seen that in myself many times. Get right about a thing and say, God, forgive me for that. And it's not a week or two weeks. I'm falling back into the same temptation. And come to the moment of your death, which is what our sermon this morning is going to be about. Come to to the moment of death and God is going to deal with you according to your actions. Lord, why me? Why is it, you know, I've got a lot to live for. Wages of sin is death. Wages of sin. But my family, they don't need you. Does God say he'll supply every need? Did our God say that he would supply every need? So God can take you and still supply for your wife or husband or children. The moment of death is real. The Bible says a man that causes shame, he's going to do it. His wrath is going to be, his anger be on the wicked. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, help us and lead us and guide us. Lord, I, 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 I don't normally talk like this and I don't normally think like this, but Lord, there's a spirit here this morning that I don't like. And I pray, God, that you would do away with it. I pray you'd drive it out. A wicked spirit and an evil spirit. And, Lord, maybe somebody's been fooling around with something, God, that they ought not be or have a bad attitude towards the preaching and have a bad attitude towards the church or towards righteousness or holiness or maybe a bad attitude toward the Bible. I pray you'd clean that out. If it be in the heart of a man, God, I pray you'd drive it from him and give him repentance and give him, God, uh, a, a space to get right, man, woman, boy or girl, whatever it is. I pray you'd drive it out. Lord, uh, I, I know that uh, in my own heart, God, I'm ready to preach and ready, God, and willing and, and have a good attitude this morning about serving you and preaching the gospel. And Lord, I just pray that you would drive out any wickedness, any foolishness. I pray, God, you would remove that distraction, God, and I pray that you would help us, God, to, uh, to wake up, God, and to be, uh, to be mindful of the, the, the realism, the, the situation that we're in this morning, the opportunity that we have this morning. And I pray, oh, God, that you, uh, Lord, I, I, I beg you, I call on your name, Lord, to, uh, to just uh, cleanse the atmosphere here this morning to work with us, to help us, to have mercy on us. And I'll thank you, God, for all that you do. And, Lord, I'll thank you and praise you, God, for all that you have done. In Jesus Christ's name I pray it. Amen. Amen. All right, take a little break this morning.